Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. All right, y'all, welcome back to another Gear Talk podcast with me, Giannis Patelis, and the great Jordan Budd. Uh, we're talking gear, as always. Today, specifically, we're going to dive into uh, gear around traveling, um, like what we pack when we go on, uh, on a hunt where we're going to do some traveling, um, jump into some airline stuff. Jordan was recently in Hawaii and had to travel over there with all of her uh, hunting gear, weapons, and whatnot, and uh, so we figured it'd be a good thing to touch on since it's so fresh in Jordan's mind. Um, and actually, we can jump right in there, Jordan. I, you haven't told me anything. Yeah. Well, I got a picture. I got three pictures of your uh, your Axis buck. Looked like a nice one. I don't mm-hmm. know what a nice one is. It looked pretty to me, but was it a good one? Uh, I hear, I hear it was. Uh, I. When I went over there, there was quite a few people that were like, you want to aim for 30 inches. And honestly... 30 inches in total, to, like, height? Total length of, of main I, beam or what? I I don't know. Um, <laughs> I haven't looked. I, I, like, literally yesterday... I think it was yesterday we got the buck shipped. We got him shipped back over here. And um, I put him out against the side of the house so he was frozen so his head could start thawing and then we can um we could do a boil i'm just going to do a european mount on him but i was looking at him and i was like i really should google how you're actually supposed to score one of these and then i just haven't done it yet but um 30 inches uh is was supposed to be the goal and i believe we broke that what the guide says but again haven't actually taped it um but dude, it was so fun. We uh, so we were on Lanai and we went to Pineapple Brothers. It's uh, I think they might be the only outfit that's on the island. But um, that island used to be a dole 
uh, pineapple plantation. Mm-hmm. I've heard about and this. And so like, w- yeah, when you fly in, they, like, you can see where the old pineapple fields were, like, blocked out. And they, I think it was in 19, I'm pretty sure it was in 92 is when they pulled, um, they, there was another company that bought out Dole and they thought that the island would do better as a tourist destination, basically, mm. uh, rather than a pineapple plantation. So they pulled all the pineapples out. And, uh, I was assuming that since that ground had been like torn up and farmed, that there wouldn't be that much brush there. And I was very wrong because it is like, it's super thick with brush. A lot of that, a lot of those bushes and stuff are like eight foot tall. And those axis deer, man, when they, they like feed on the edges of it where it's a little bit, mostly just where there's more grass growing. Mm -hmm. And then they go into it in the middle of the day when it's hot. And when you walk into that stuff, there's no, like, there's no, uh, there's no grass in there at all. Like the canopy is so thick. There's just, it's just dirt underneath of it. So they have to come out to feed, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty quick, it's a pretty quick hunt. You could say, cause it's like, if you, if you don't get on them, like first thing in the morning, they're just, they're all going to be inside those super uh, just like bushes. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know how you would get them. Because um, once you're in and, there, I mean, you're not. Would, you can't. You can't see fifty yards. No, not at all. No, like you'd have trouble seeing fifteen hmm. yards. So it's crazy. There's like there's a ton of deer on that island, and uh, and we got to see we got to see quite a few. There was like the one evening we went out just to try to get some more footage after I shot my buck, and uh, we saw probably. 40 and kind of all come out together feeding on the edge of a bunch of the brush. Um, so that was kind of cool to see that many together. Um, but yeah, I shot my buck opening, well, the first day of my hunt, I guess. And it was like two, I think it was 260 yards ish. And then the next morning I ended up shooting a, a doe too at about the same distance. So Got a couple deer out of it, and they're all back home now in the freezer. So yeah, have you you eaten any of it yet? Yeah, when we were there, we ate. uh, What did we eat? I think it was just a piece of tenderloin. Um, We did like a little cooking scene, and and it was pretty good. It was the buck, and he was a little ruddy, and so it was tougher than I thought it was going to be. It's tougher than I remember it being. Mm. Um, But that was like pretty fresh off the deer too. So I don't know if like freezing it and then unthawing it again will help with that. I have no idea, but we have some thought out right now for tonight. So I think it would be good to, uh, since this is on the heels of our bullet episode to, uh, talk about what bullets you used, what distance it was, uh, what caliber and what the, what the bullet performance was. Yeah, so 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, I was shooting a 130 grain Sierra Game King bullet. Mm-hmm. And with the buck, it went it went through and through, and it was like right behind the shoulder, tucked in like right behind the shoulder. It just went through and through lungs, and he went like 30 yards maybe. 
Um, the doe, though, we actually, uh, she was about the same distance to, I think, like 260. Um, she was a little bit quartered away. And I put it, like, right in front of the last rib, I would say. And it went through her. It clipped, like, just a little bit, like, the front part of her, um, like, guts and just went up through everything and, and stuck in her front off shoulder. Mm-hmm. And we did pull... We did pull the bullet out of her and, uh, yeah, it was, it was like the back held together and then the front mushroomed out. I mean, <clears throat> it was about as good as I, I would have expected it to punch all the way through, but it did go through quite a bit of body. Um, and it hit like that shoulder bone, it hit all that, uh, but I was still a little surprised, but I'm used to like the one forties and just that little bit of extra weight like could have carried more momentum through her. Um, but the bullet itself, like it mushroomed out and, you know, performed just as I thought it was going to. Seems like it kept most of its weight. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it did really good. I, I had heard uh, quite a few people talking on those Game Kings that they would like just disintegrate. <clears throat> They've had experiences like on Mule Deer and Elk where those Game Kings just disintegrate, mm. but <clears throat> this one held together really well. Yeah, because I think it's a. Uh, I'm trying to read up real quick on it, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's a bonded, unique construction that utilizes special lead alloys surrounded by a tough copper jacket that delivers excellent penetration. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure it's a bonded bullet. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's really similar, not soup, not exactly, but it's kind of similar to like the ELDX. Yeah. It's got like that tip. I think there was a while where people shot the Sierra Match. What's Match King maybe? Yeah, their Match King. They kind of have, I was having trouble following their names for all of their different bullets because they had a lot of them that the verbiage kind of overlapped. Mm. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's people that had Match King experiences and are saying that about the Game King. Because the Match King is a, you know, it's it's a target bullet. It's like the original burgers, right? That they're very, very frangible. Uh, and mm-hmm. they're going to blow up, right? And I, I, be, I bet that that could be. Not saying that for sure whoever you talked to mixed it up, but it it seemed, yeah. it seemed hard to believe that these uh, Game Kings would just blow up like that. Mm-hmm. Unless it was mm-hmm. just ex- yep. extreme close range and super high speed, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, I think I'm running 2,800 out of the muzzle with those 130s. So, you know, yeah, that's something. Been, t- they, they were accurate. That's good. That's something to talk about. I, I chronoed my, uh, I don't know if it, you call it chronoed if you use a uh, lab radar, but Garrett and I did lab radar for my 6.5 Creedmoor in the cross. And I was shooting the 140 uh, Acubons. And you just said you had 28 out of the muzzle. Mm-hmm. Those 140 Acubons, 2,500. Yeah, which which rifle is that out of? The, my cross. Yeah. And Garrett's just saying it's because it's a short barrel. But he says like it's a known thing that those shorter cross barrels, it's like you just can't build enough pressure to really get those higher speeds. So does yours, does yours have a yeah. little bit longer barrel? Uh, I'm at 26. Yeah. For one, for the one forties with an 18 inch barrel, I was at 2,600 Mm. 
Reddit, Reddit about 26. This, uh, this rifle that I shot has a 20 inch proof research barrel on it. Interesting. So yeah. a little bit like, and then different bullets. So I haven't really done like a, you know, side by side, especially like with a 16 inch barrel. It's just probably what yours is, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head, but it definitely, it's nice cause it's short and it's very handy in that mm -hmm. way. But it's the first time ever in my, you know, career of messing around with guns where I've realized like, oh, here's the implication, right? Is that, um, with a short barrel is not going to, is going to lessen your, uh, pressures and thus lessen your, uh, your speeds. Yeah. Just running slower. Yeah, I know. It's just one of those things. And I think just a Creedmoor in general is they're just not zippy. No, <laughs> I know. It's funny. Somebody, <laughs> I actually just picked up like a, uh, it was a Peterson's deer and deer hunting. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was that one. Anyways, some, it was a deer hunt magazine grocery store. I was shopping and I just thought, you know what? It'd be good to flip through one of these, see what's going on. And uh, a guy had a very well-written article about the 6.5 Creedmoor and about the stuff that, the crazy stuff that he hears at the range and at the gun shop about how, you know, it's the best thing ever. A thousand yard gun can kill anything under the moon, yada, yada, yada. And he's, and he kind of really broke it down ballistically and what it was. And in the end, he's like, it's a great 300 yard deer gun and no more. Mm -hmm. And, uh, sure. Can you push it? And I've shot an elk with it. It killed it. Um, that's not true. I've never shot one with a 6.5 Creedmoor, but I've shot a few with the 6.555 Swede, which is very, very close to the uh, in ballistics. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not, you can shoot it at a thousand yards at targets and, and it's known for its uh, inherent accuracy. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not a, a, a big old bang stick that, uh, that freezes them in their tracks. No, 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 it's not. Um, but I just got my suppressor for it. Ooh. Like right before I left it finally. Yeah, this is actually funny. Uh, I went to, I went to pick up something. I think I was looking for a gun case or something. I w went to the, to, uh, what, what do you call it? My gunsmith guy. And, uh, I said, man, is that suppressor still like, hasn't got approved yet? It's been a, it's been almost a year. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, last week, the ATF just gave us emails that said their email system was being goofy and wasn't sending out all the emails when they got approved. And so he said, uh, look up your number, your confirmation number you got. And he said, I'll look it up and see if it's been approved. It got approved in January. Oh, well, yeah. hold on, but didn't they send it to your gun shop or your gunsmith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had oh. it, but the actual, um, oh, he hadn't gotten uh, the you email. Out all the paperwork. Yeah. Yep, they're supposed to send you an email when it's been approved yep. so you can just go to the gun shop and pick it up, but they something happened with the system that got all messed up. So if you have a suppressor you're waiting for, you might just want to yeah, call in your number and see if they can look it up. If you don't yeah. have one you're waiting for yet, do yourself a favor and get in line because you're going to be so stoked when you finally get it. A good way to do it, they can do all of it for you online is Silencer Central. I think it's silencer, silencercentral.com. Silencer Central, yeah. Um, I got my first one through them, and uh, it was a very easy process other than the waiting um, mm -hmm. uh, portion of it. Everything else was super easy. Uh, so, yeah, they um, 
yeah, it's a great website. Walks you right through what you need to know about it. Um, SilencerCentral.com. Um, but before we get into how you packed for that Hawaii hunt, uh, yeah. I don't even know where to start. I got so much to tell you about. We went from, <laughs> well, I'll just tell you. I went turkey hunting in Montana with my family. It's an annual trip we do every year. And the weather forecast was calm for rain. A fair amount of rain. But I figured, ah, it's middle of May. You know, there's a fair amount of rain. All we need is a break here and there, a little bit of sunshine. And I really do believe in turkey hunting. Sun's out, gun's out. Like, it holds true. And it held true this year, except that it did not stop raining really for about three days of our four days out there. To the point where I even called into work and said, guys, I know we're supposed to leave on Monday for a trip. I might not be making it out of here until uh, till late Monday or Tuesday morning, which is going to back us up because it rained so much and we were afraid to drive. Uh, we messed around a little bit with it and immediately all four tires were just mud cake and we're digging holes and like, okay, nope, don't mess around with it. Just let it pass. So um, it was a bummer. It was three days of just crazy uh, just steady, you know, steady, steady, steady rain. And we got onto some turkeys. They would gobble a little bit in the morning, but it was almost like they reverted back to early turkey season. They kind of flocked up. They were gobbling a bunch, but didn't really want to come to the call um, until it broke. Um, and it broke on Sunday morning. I don't know, eight or nine in the morning. Kind of started getting nicer. And uh, I went out with my wife, uh, my neighbor had been out all morning and stayed out until early afternoon. He came back to camp. We were breaking camp down camp, but the roads were still too muddy to really drive out. So my wife and I figured, all right, we'll go do a quick loop. Get out there. At, I don't know, three-ish or so. And the second place we stop on this pretty high ridge top and run a loud box call. I get an answer. Drop in there. Get some birds fired up. There's actually multiple gobblers. Uh, can't remember four or five gobblers. Might have been four gobblers and a Jake, uh, and just one or two hens. And uh, man, they came running to the call. A couple of them really gobbling, really strutting. Yeah. The other three, yeah, just kind of dinking around. Didn't really want any part of it, but staying with the group. Well, I bet you I called two thousand. I made 2,000 yelps in the next mm -hmm. 90 minutes, and that bird gobbled a 1,000 times. I mean, just every call I'd make, he'd gobble, triple gobble at me. But it's one of the problems you run into with Western hunting is that it can be so open that if you haven't set up right and don't have some visual barrier between you and them, um, and sometimes it's just it's not there. It's just so open. It's just a, it's a ponderosa pine savanna, and you can easily see a hundred yards, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And the turkey's looking over there going, I don't see a hen until I do. I ain't coming. So it might've been good to have a decoy or a turkey fan. We had gone light that hadn't brought any of that stuff. Eventually yeah. because it's getting late, it's coming on six and we have a four hour drive home. Four plus hours. My wife says, why don't you just take the gun and go down there and shoot him? And I'm like, all right, you're right. That's what we got to do. Get out of here. So I slipped down into the creek bottom that's just 20 yards below us. And it had a very easy time slipping in there. Just had this perfect little berm that hid me and got in there. Very nice, quiet cow path that took me right to the turkey. I basically got on the other side of a serviceberry bush 
and I could see him strutting on the other side. And he was close, 10, mm-hmm. 15 yards. And uh, I was just kind of starting to like lift up my gun and inch to the left so I could peek around it. And he comes out of strut and just starts feeding up this hill a little bit. And he's going to walk right in the open. So when he pops out in the open, lift up my gun, he stops, looks at me, pull the trigger, click. I'm like, what? No way. And sure enough, it, it, and I'm shooting the, the Beretta Ultima this year. I think this is a, this is a hot tip or, or just something to be wary of with any semi-automatic shotgun. I think Benelli's, I've heard it called a Benelli click, but I think that the, I've, I've seen it happen with the Weatherbees that I've haunted with. Yeah, if you don't like slam that bolt shut, and the best way to do that is by hitting the bolt release button so that it closes hard and engages. There's some sort of engagement that has to happen. I don't, I don't know the exact specifics of it, but if it doesn't do it, <laughs> when you pull that trigger, that firing pin does not engage the primer and you don't have a shot. So I start freaking out. I pull the, uh, the bolt handle back, let it go, and I see that now the second shell has jammed up behind the first shell because the first shell didn't eject when I pulled the the bolt open and it seems like it's stuck and i'm you know trying to shake it out and pry it out and eventually i get it out the whole time i'm watching the turkey luckily i mean he could have just boogied out and i never would have got wouldn't have got it would have gotten a shot but somehow he's like what is going on over there like i'm all fired up i've been gobbling for 90 minutes maybe two hours down here and now there's this dude trying to gonna wrap his shotgun around a tree 10 yards away from me and uh, so he's kind of ambling away, yep. and I think he got out to, I don't know, 40-ish, maybe a little farther, and I finally got it figured out, and uh, I shot him. Dude, multiple, I've, I've heard that kind, like same kind of a thing from multiple people. It's just because like you're in the turkey woods, you're trying to put one in quietly. You don't want to just like exactly. sm- let it slam. So you're putting it in quietly. They almost need like a forward assist. Like if that's on an AR, you know, they got that little um, bump lever in the back. You just like whack it and it'll, it'll help engage the bolt. No, it, 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 that's a very strong idea because yeah. yeah, every, almost everybody's got one of these stories. If you shoot, I mean, and that's maybe a case for shooting a, uh, an over and under or side by side or even a mm-hmm. pump. Because, you know, you can close that pump quietly. And as long as you make sure you know your pump gun well enough to, when you slide that pump uh, forward enough to know what it takes to, to close it, then you've done it, right? Yeah. Um, but, because uh, I so rarely do you actually need those second and third shots, right? That you gain is what the mm-hmm. whole reason to shoot a semi-auto. I mean, I guess it does lessen recoil a little bit too. But anyways, got my bird. Um, Got out of there without too too many hassles. It, we, you know, it, it, a lot of this country, as long as you can give it eight ten hours without rain, it dries out enough that uh, you can you can get out of a spot. Yeah. Um, then I made the turnaround. We got in late. I mean, almost midnight. Next morning, got picked up by Corey Calkins, and we headed to Western Montana, um, dang near the Idaho border, to go bear hunting. And uh, roll in there, I don't know, it's late in the day, glassing. So it's pretty cool to go turkey hunting one day, kill a turkey, and then 20, less than 24 hours later, be glassing for bears. Um, it was hard to make the, uh, the transition. 
because as I'm sitting there looking through my binoculars, I hear a crow in the distance. And in my mind, I hear, oh, <laughs> you know, like I'm just expecting, yeah. I'm like, oh, we got to go roost them. And I'm like, oh no, we're not turkey hunting. You know, it's like, oh, we're bear hunting. Okay. Just yeah. like get into the glass and start looking. And that's what it took. A couple hours of glass and got me into bear hunting mode. Um, but man, do we get hosed uh, by the by multiple factors. Uh, one, uh, it was got hot. Um, the first day was very, very temperatures. Like it might have just been in the 60s. Uh, the latter four or five days of the, of the trip were 80, 80 plus. Um, on top of that, we had the smoke roll in from those British Columbia fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody... I think it had a little bit of that. I heard it came way down into Southern Mont into Southern Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I heard that it got so bad. They had to use instruments to land planes there at the airport. So Nebraska was even like three miles of visibility. Yeah, that's uh, it stinks. I mean, you couldn't, you could kind of glass at a thousand yards, but anything past that, it, it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. If there was one wide out in the open we're gonna pick up a black blob sure but uh it made it tough so we walked roads which is how Corey hunts bears there a lot anyways he used to guide in that area and i'd never walked roads for bears so it was interesting to see obviously because it wasn't working for us uh, i was it was a little bit like yeah let's go glass because we can look at a lot more country instead of just looking down this you know 15 foot strip all the time i think when it's good you can see 15 piles of poop on every good section where the grass is really good. I mean, we were, we were walking two, three mile, you know, sometimes three miles one direction and then coming back um, and seeing six piles of poop total. And he just felt like they weren't concentrated on the roads like they can be. And that might've been because it was a bit of a early spring, even though they had a good winter, it got, got hot hot and got springy fast because there wasn't a lot of snow. All the hillsides were pretty green. So I think that the bears, they just didn't have to be on the roads feeding. They could, they were spreading out and feed all over the place. Um, we saw grizz, uh, which is cool. Um, I saw more grizz and I saw black bears. Corey and I each saw two bears. Mm. Uh, we overlapped on one, saw like a four and a half foot sow, but it was through the windshield on the road. <laughs> and it was the first day. I just didn't mm-hmm. feel right about killing her, you know, basically watching her go up into the woods and then making us leaving the truck, making a 50 yard yeah. stock and shooting a bear. Just <clears throat> wasn't my, my, on the last day. Sure. <laughs> I've tried, you know, bl- blood, sweat and tears and been chewed on by mosquitoes for six days. Sure. But, uh, I did get a, a very good opportunity. Um, glass of a bear second to last night. At roughly not quite a mile, I, I think. You know, I just did the quick two finger. Have you got, have you used that uh, feature yet on Onyx? It's pretty slick. They have a new feature where you can use two fingers. Just you just got your map open like you always do, yep. and all you do is just drop two fingers on your map, hold it there for a second, and it'll give you. Don't before you pick up your fingers, you'll see a red line pop up, and it'll give you that distance. Yeah. Um. Yep. So you don't have to do the two points anymore, which is pretty slick. I did that and it came out to, I don't know, 0.7, 0.8, something like that. But I had to drop off this 
I was on a logging road at a drop off, probably 500 feet or so across the creek, climb up 500 feet and then go across this hillside. I don't know what it was. Like I said, three quarters of a mile or so. And it was 8.08. I remember looking at my, looking at the phone as soon as I saw him, 8.08 and last shooting light was 9.30. So I had not quite 90 minutes, but I figured got to go. Same to last day. I've only seen one bear so far. Um, you got to try. So I take off running, um, make it across the creek, up the other side, going across this burn, jumping, you know, lots of log, burn log stuff. And I get to, I get to where I can, I should be able to see him. I find him. He's at three 30 and it's getting, it's getting later. Like it's definitely after nine at this point. So, but I've got a half an hour. I think I'm thinking like, I've got time, be patient, get a, get a nice rest set up. You'll get an opportunity. But he's working, he's in this big draw, and he's the top end of the draw. There's a little bit of water in it, but it's timbered. Bottom of the draw and the sides of the bottom are all just open. Well, open because it's been burnt. So you can see in there and there's feed in there. And he's just kind of slowly working to the left. But I'm thinking, well, he's been out here already for an hour. He'll stay out here feeding till dark. Why not? And um when I first got set up, I couldn't get the angle proper. Like I couldn't get steep enough to, to make a shot. So I had to re- put my backpack down first and then my bipod on top of that. And that gave me a steep enough angle to get the shot. And I had a pretty good opening right when I got there to him, but he kept working left. And you know how it is in those burns. You think it's mm-hmm. wide open because you can see the bear, your naked eye dang near at three quarters of a mile. But you get there and you realize just how many trees are you know, because you're not oh, just looking same. through the trees where he's at. There's all the tops of the trees that are the hundred yards between you and him, yep. right? There's just and branches and whatever. And he just kept ambling to the left and basically ambled right into the timber. And at that point, it was, I don't know, 920, 925. I mean, mm-hmm. I had minutes left and there was going to be no second opportunity. So... He slipped out of there by the hair on his chinny chin chin. And uh, I can't say that's happened to me too many times where I really felt like I was going to kill that animal. And then he just slipped through my fingers. Um, and retrospectively, I think you should have ripped off a predator call in Grizz yeah, Country. <laughs> yeah. I mean, retrospectively, a lot of things. I could have yelled at him tried to, and, and stopped him. Um, I could have maybe just tried to shoot off my elbows, which. Elbows at 300 yards, even if you're prone, it seems a little bit long. I haven't practiced that shot a lot. I probably should just to see how I do at 300 yards, just shooting off my elbows. Um, I feel like at 200 yards, it wouldn't be a problem. 330, I don't know. Um, and with the way I wounded that one two years ago, I'm definitely a little trigger shy. Um, Want to make a good shot the next time I shoot at a bear and recover him. Uh so yeah, I could probably recall pretty heavy grizz country. So I, you know, being 10 minutes before dark, I didn't want to blow a bunch on the predator call. And then, uh, you know, then I had to walk out of there in the dark and, you know, just thinking about who, who's, who, you, who else you've been calling in with that, you know? So anyways, lessons learned. Um, came home, no bear. Had a good time though. It was super fun. Yeah, man.
pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick, sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash eater, but you got to use the promo code MeatEater. That's promo code MeatEater, okay, at twc.health slash eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. We have a listener success story. This might be our first. Yeah, I was super stoked to see this in the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, a fellow wrote in to geartalkatthemeater.com. His name is Kevin Yunkin. He took his kid out. He says, I wanted to share a success story related to some information I gained from a recent Gear Talk episode. In episode 11, Yanni talked about the advantages of using a red dot site for turkey season. I had been debating putting a red dot on my daughter's shotgun, and Yanni's thoughts were convincing. We bought a Vortex Venom 3 MOA site and mounted it on a Weatherby SA-20. 
We used a rib mount from Meadow Creek Mounts. Uh, he says it's highly recommended. And uh, sighting it in and pattering her turkey loads was super simple. She killed a Jake bird on the youth opener at 25 yards. So there you go. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that it, that it worked for him. I will add to that, too, that the uh, Meadow Creek mount that he's speaking of, um, really good product if you've got a shotgun that, that the, where the receiver isn't tapped or doesn't have a pick rail on the back where you could just mount a red dot. Um, uh, Greg, I believe is his name, over at Meadow Creek Mounts, makes a mount that you just mount right to your rib um, and then put the red dot on top of that. So it's a very uh, inexpensive way to to be able to get your red dot um, on your shotgun if it's not a shotgun that you know is set up to re- to receive that on the mm-hmm. receiver. I will say I do believe it's I, I I've shot birds with that same ex- same exact setup actually with that gun mounted on those Sao eights and. If you can, I think it's better to have that that red dot on the receiver because it's closer to your eye. So that field of view within the frame of the red dot is bigger. The farther away mm-hmm. it gets from you, it gets smaller and smaller. It still works great, um, but I think in the perfect world, you'd mount it on the receiver and get it as close to your eye as you can. Um, but again, that's if, if 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 you if your gun's not tapped for mounts, uh, you're gonna have to go to a gunsmith. And have them do it. Probably not going to cost you too much, but there is mm-hmm. the you know the the work of, that you're going to put in to get that done. Yeah. Well, moving on into a Q and A, uh, I've got a little bit of a story with this on some of my new gear too. We got an, another email from Chris Duggan. He says, "What do you think of muzzle brakes on guns?" And uh, I'll let you take that one, Yanni, to start. Oh, okay. Um, it's complicated. <laughs> I know. <laughs> because what a muzzle brake does is it it uh it reduces recoil. Um and some of them are even ported in such a way where the blast is supposed to go up or to the side more yep. to limit uh the rise, like a like the vertical jump of the barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it easier to stay on target. Uh, both the, like the reduced recoil and the fact that it jumps less up and down is going to help you stay on your target. Both great things. Unfortunately, the muzzle brake makes the gun exponentially louder. <laughs> I don't know yeah. the actual number, but it is much louder, so much worse for your hearing. And um, it's especially noticeable for anybody that's with you because the shooter being right behind the gun, I, I, you don't receive the brunt uh, of what comes from the muzzle brake. Yeah. If you have someone just off to your side or even somehow just standing behind you, um, boy, does did they get their noggin rocked. And again, if everybody's got ear pro on, no big deal. Um, so I guess that's my thought. These days, it seems like they come standard. Where it used to be a thing you had to go to a gunsmith for ten years ago. Now I don't. It, it, it's probably hard to go into Sportsman's and find a rifle that isn't uh, threaded for a for a muzzle break. I think a lot of them are th- at least threaded, <clears throat> like you said, and ready to accept one. Um, I just put a an MDT Elite muzzle break on this rifle that I took to. I took to Hawaii 
And one of the main reasons I did that was because they're just like, they're nicer to shoot. So I went to the range and was shooting. Um, I was, you know, I shot this one with a muzzle brake on it. I shot basically the exact same gun without a muzzle brake on it. And I shot the one with the brake on it first. And I didn't do this as a test. I just kind of did it because I was just doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, When I went from the muzzle brake to the 6.5 that didn't have a muzzle brake on it, like it was a noticeable increase of recoil. And a Creedmoor is not going to kick that bad. They just don't anyways. But, I mean, even lessening that up more is kind of nice, just like tracking your shot, especially kind of like goofy positions that you can find yourself in in hunting situations like if you can just reduce some of the recoil and be able to track your shot it could really could really help you there so that's why I put it on um and then but with that it is freaking loud and (laughs) I did a little uh (laughs) I did a little research on some hearing protection and went and bought myself I think as good of hearing protection as I've probably ever had other than just, you know, regular foamies. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we'll dig into that on the new gear. If you want to rock into that. I mean, is there anything to really wrap up with muzzle brakes? Like the pros, they make your rifle easier to shoot. The cons, it makes it really loud. Like that's probably, it's probably the big thing. There are, you know, now that we dig into this, we should do a, episode on muzzle brakes mm-hmm. get somebody on because there are like there are a lot of different kinds of muzzle brakes and like some of them that come stock on rifles now that just have holes drilled all the way around them in a bunch of different ways um they just make it really loud they yeah. from what i've like read and heard guys that have used them a lot they're like they don't really help with anything other than they make it really loud like they might help a little bit but they're not going to help like the side ports that divert that gas like back towards you a little bit to help um, to help with the recoil. I don't know. There's just a lot of science into it for something that just screws on the end of your barrel. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think that's where suppressors can come in because yes. you're kind of getting the, the um, you know, the advantage of both. Yeah. Yeah. Suppressors are... Mine's still sitting in the closet because they Hawaii doesn't allow suppressors. Oh, so I couldn't even take it. I couldn't even take it with me. So, um, I still need to shoot that this week and get it get it ready for this bear hunt. But yeah, it. Uh, I'm excited to try it because it's going to be. This definitely, I think, the better way to go. It's just like just as we talked about, it takes forever. It can. Yeah, it can take totally. forever, but. Once you get it, you're going to be so stoked. Yeah, I know. I'm pumped. Um, Yeah, so some new and interesting gear. I've got a couple things quick. Uh, First thing goes along with the muzzle brake was uh, hearing pro. So I literally just went into Sportsman's Warehouse and started walking around and looking at some of their hearing protection and uh, Walker's ear, um, ear protection. Like they have a huge line. And you know something that we've, Got a few questions on that we haven't tackled yet. Um, this is definitely more of a question for you, but like kids hearing pro. And I saw that walkers, they have a lot of like kids specific mm. um, headphones for hearing protection. So I thought that was kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. So I ended up going with 
a set. It's called the VX 3.0 headset. And it basically is a thing that goes around your neck, kind of like, you know, the orange deals that go around your neck that just have foamies on. You plug them into your ears, the cheap ones. Mm-hmm. Um, this one goes around your neck, but it has uh, earbuds that pull out and go into your ears. And it's noise canceling. Plus it's, you know, it's like noise canceling when you shoot. And then it's like, you can hear really well when you're not shooting. Um, so you can hunt with them in. So I got a set of those. They make them in Bluetooth also. So you can like Bluetooth music to your ears if you want Ooh. to. That was a little overkill for me. And it was a lot more expensive. So I just went with the regular ones. Um, but I got Leah a pair of that are just like regular earbuds, like no wires holding them together or anything. Um, the only reason I didn't go with those is because I was afraid of losing them in the field if you're going to have them in a lot. Um, so that's why I didn't go with those. I went with this other thing and I was a little worried about it, like just being around my neck all the time. I thought that that could be kind of cumbersome and annoying, but it's super flexible and it was, it's honestly been kind of a game changer. Like I don't, I don't see myself not having them on. Um, just so I can like pop ear pro in real quick and like you put them in and as long as you turn the unit on, you can still hear everything yeah. that's going on so you can communicate. And what's nice about it is if you don't have time or forget to turn it on, it still works as far as the hearing protection. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or you run out of batteries or whatever. Like, I don't know. I didn't think I'd ever get so excited about hearing protection, but I'm <laughs> I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, a good place to 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 get more uh, information on uh, he- hearing pro. If you're thinking about getting yourself some legit hearing protection, is uh, Auto Pro Technologies. It's just spelled O T O P R O Technologies dot com. Uh, we did a podcast at Meat Eater with uh, Grace that uh, owns Auto Pro and uh, runs it. And uh, I think I got the Soundgear Phantoms, which sounds similar, but they do also have the Bluetooth. Um, so you can listen to a pod. I wear them now just doing weed whacking at the house and listen to music and podcasts while I'm running, you know, weed eater, chainsaw, whatever, um, saving my ears and being entertained. So pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, they look good. I just popped them up here. Yeah, they're, they're slick as can be. Yeah. All right. What's next? Uh, last thing for me for new and exciting stuff. Um, I've got my hands on this. I haven't used it in the field yet, but I, <clears throat> I handled it on a desk. Mm. The uh, new titanium backpacking stove from Argali. Uh, he has two different size. Like the stove is the same size, um, but he sells it in like a five foot, uh, ch- not chimney, five foot stove pipe. pipe. Yeah. Yep. Stove pipe, and then a six foot. And it's two pounds, eight ounces. So it's kind of set up like a box stove. Looks pretty good. If you're in the market, check it out. I love them, man. When it's the right kind of weather, uh, the that little, uh, little I, I have the one from Seek outside and pair it with a, a uh, Redcliffe tent normally. But man, late October, November, you're going to be stoked and cozy and dry and gear and hunting a lot longer than other folks that uh, don't have a similar setup and mm-hmm. it's all light enough where you can get it into the back country yeah 
yeah, packs down pretty small and it's, yeah, handy as heck. What what have you found lately? Uh luckily, I mean big time. It was serendipitous. A couple of days before I left for my family turkey hunt, my buddy and I were running together and he says, Oh, you have you ever tried a clam shelter? And I go, No, never heard of it. I thought, well, I thought maybe clam used to make ice fishing shanties. And he's like, maybe mm-hmm. it's kind of like an ice fishing shanty. So he says, well, you want to borrow it? I said, yeah, it's supposed to be a little rainy. I'll bring it. Thank goodness. Because look, those Seek TPs are great. They're light. But, and this thing's not light. I mean, it weighs, I don't know, 50, 60 pounds. But the difference is, is that like a, a Seek outside shelter, it's the shape of a teepee. Uh, the clam has got vertical walls, right? So you just have yeah. that much more room. And I didn't need, I mean, we set it up right next to the truck. I didn't need it to be light, right? So it was just, a, it was a way more comfortable space to be in for car camping. And uh, like I said, we spent a lot of time. Well, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier. We spent a lot of time in the tent, basically for three days. Um, and we had brought games with us. Uno. Uh, cards we played some latvian card games we played gin rummy um we played uh rummy cube rummy O. I don't know how to, what the name of that game is it's one with the tiles um anyways uh silver lining there was that the kids uh had a great time three days in a tent uh partially due because we had a nice shelter and um partially uh hopefully is because I've, we've raised them right and they don't need uh they don't need to be plugged in to have a good time yeah but this clam was clutch. I actually have a 10 by 10 like pop-up just awning. Yeah. That also is a heavy sucker that's, I don't know, 60, 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. But it's durable. Like I'll have this thing for 10 years. Um, we had that thing over the entrance of this clam shelter. If you want to look it up online, it's called the Quick Set. Uh, quicksetshelters.com is the website. Yeah. Um, and it's by clam. Um, I think Clams uh, owns a bunch of other companies, but anyways, I mean it's basically a ice fishing ice fishing shanty, but not insulated. Um, Does it pop up like a pop up blind? Like, did the hubs pop in? Yes. Yeah, got it. Exactly. Like all the walls, you just pull on the handles, they pop out. Ceiling goes up. When it got completely drenched after two days. Um, and then we had some pretty heavy winds coming around and pushing down on the ceiling. We actually, we had to go and cut a center pole and put it in there. It doesn't have that because it was popping the ceiling down. But like I said, (laughs) for what it is, it it has its limits and being drenched and soaked, I think put a lot of weight, uh, and, and, you know, made the structure a little bit weaker. Um, and then, you know, the wind pushing on it, you know, we had the roof roof class a couple of times. So we just went and cut a whatever nine foot pole and stuck it in there and it was good to go. Uh, even though that happened, I am 100% going to have one for my next family camping trip. Like it was that slick. Like if it got buggy, the th- nice thing about it, the walls can roll up and you still have screens on all sides. So yeah. if it got buggy, you could get in there and have a great shelter and, and not be cooking in there because you'd have plenty of breeze. Um, we actually did speaking of cooking, we did do cook. Eventually we brought the kitchen in there and, uh, did all of our hanging out cooking in there. And if we needed to, you know, let it air out, we just, you know, pop open a couple windows and let it do that. So, um, yeah, man, I was, 
Very, very stoked on that. Um, well, I'm I'm deep in the planning of really awesome car camping camps currently, so this is really appealing to me. Yeah, I would I would I would uh, looked into it. And my buddy's already had it for I think three years, and um, he says it's been been tough, been been working. Um, so yeah, nice. check check it out. All right, so for our main section here, our segment today, uh, gear for traveling and around traveling. Jordan, you uh, you started it yeah. off with a question of uh, what are you typically bringing for gear? I feel like that question's a little bit broad. I think you need to you need to ask me a little bit. Yeah, got to make that conciser so I can I know exactly what to answer. Well, here's here's the hard part with it is like the way I packed for Hawaii was like a 180 degree difference from how I'd pack going to Alaska. Like when you and I went on our caribou hunt, it was like two duffel bags completely packed full of stuff and then a bow case packed full of stuff. And this Hawaii trip was like gun case, one roller bag, and off we went. Like it was so much simpler. Um, so I like for this trip, and I think some like, like this was a guided trip. And so I think, and we were staying in an Airbnb. Um, we weren't like backpacking, doing any overnight stuff. So there wasn't that much camping stuff I had to bring, which really takes up most of the room. Yep. When all you have to bring is like clothing and your gun, it it eliminates a lot of the stuff. So yeah, that's nice when you can pack light. Oh yeah, it made, made a huge difference. Um, so yeah, what are you typically bringing for gear, Yanni? My question. The 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 kitchen sink, um, and everything with it. Um, I mean, obviously, you do have to pack a little bit smarter when you're uh, when you're traveling because you can't really bring yeah. the, the kitchen sink. Uh, you know, whatever clothing you're going to need for 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 the trip, and we've talked about this before on previous Gear Talk episodes. Oh yeah, is that clothing? I feel like is a place where a lot of people can slim down. You just, you don't need two base layers for a, even a seven or eight day trip. Okay. These base layers that, that, that we all wear and, and sell these days, um, they dry quickly. They don't get too stinky. Um, you'll be fine in just one. Right. And that kind of goes on down the line. You know, mm -hmm. you don't need five pairs of socks for a five day hunt. You know, you can do it easily in two. So slim down there. Um, other gear I do like to bring is a, definitely bring a Yeti hopper to put uh, meat in. I feel like that is the best way to travel uh, it is. Ho home with meat. The Yeti hopper, you can kind of squish it up. It doesn't squish up great, but depending on how much room you got in a duffel, you can squish it up into a duffel. Or sometimes if I'm bringing, I don't know, maybe some presents or you know some gifts to wherever I'm going or I don't know, some snacks or food that I want to have with me, I can, I'll just check it. Um, and then hopefully come back with, you know, have mm -hmm. it full of deer meat. And I'm pretty sure that those Yeti Hopper 40s, if you pack it full of deep bone meat, you're going to be close to 100 pounds. I mean, you can really, like, meat is heavy and dense, and you can get a lot in there. And I've said this before, too. I don't worry about getting it frozen or even completely yep. processed. I just get it off the bone, get it cooled down, 
like as cool as possible. Overnight in a fridge is going to be plenty. And if you put all that 35 to 40 degree meat into a Yeti hopper in the morning and then fly all day and get home that evening sometime, um, I think your meat's going to be plenty cold enough. Um, we should do a test one day. I need to bring a thermometer and see, test it what it is in the morning when you put it in there. And then and then see if it how much it warms up. But I'm guessing yeah. because there's not much air in there. If you close that zipper tight, you, you know, you're not getting air going in and out. Um, those things insulate that meat very well. Yeah, like we did that in Alaska with my caribou. I think debone, we were we had two of the hoppers full of meat. Yeah. And I think all we did was I mean, we hung the quarters up and then the next day. Or when we got back to uh, where we were staying, I deboned them and put them right into the cooler like that. Not like, and I was going to put a trash bag around it, like put the meat in a trash bag. And you're like, I wouldn't even do that. Just put it in the cooler. So that's what I did. And it was almost nicer when we got back because it, you didn't have to thaw out a bunch of frozen meat too. It was like ready to just ready like to trim up and package and throw yep. in the freezer. Because, I mean, unless you're staying at a camp that has a nice, not a butchering facility, but has a, a setup, you know, at the minimum, a, a table to work on and then, uh, you know, your paper and, and, and tape and everything you need to package it up or vaxes or whatever. If you have that at hand and you have time to get it frozen, sure, you can go, you can go yeah. that route. But most of the time, that's not on hand. You just got to get the meat home. A big reason I don't like to freeze it is because... um. Anytime you freeze meat, you're breaking cell walls down. And then when it thaws, the cell walls that you, that you broke, that's what causes, like the, even though you have a completely dry piece of meat, when you wrap it up and freeze it, then you thaw it, and you have this bleeding that goes on, right? And you have a, that's why you got to thaw stuff out on a, on a pan or a, or a plate. Otherwise, you'll end up with a puddle of blood in your fridge. That's a real pain. And that happens because it's been frozen, it broke cell walls down, and then basically that juice or blood, whatever you want to call mm -hmm. it, leaks out. And so if you don't freeze it, you're not going to have that problem. And the reason I'm worried about that is that I've been told by the airline that if your uh, cooler leaks, that gives them the right to just yank it and dispose of it. Oof. Yeah. And so you don't want that happening. So you can, some people will put a towel or some paper towels, you know, on the mm -hmm. top near the zipper or, you know, the latches, whatever you're using to prevent that. If you did have some sort of, you know, moisture coming out, that would hopefully catch it and prevent leakage. But again, if you don't freeze it, the meat really shouldn't be producing this juice, meat, blood, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Super interesting point. And I've got, just since I've been back for a week, I've gotten a ton of qu like the mostly the most questions I've gotten from the Hawaii trip is how you got me home. Hmm. And there's like a couple points I want to make on this. Um, so when we went, we hunted for two days and then we vacationed for two days. If you're going to go do something like that, flip it vacation first and then hunt last. Mm. So then you are you can take soft coolers just like Yanni just talked about, put the meat in them and fly it home with you. It's going to be a hell of a lot cheaper than shipping it because we vacationed after and the outfit just has a meat processor that they take it to, which I don't mind doing that because he just did it all for us. Um, but I had to ship it home because we were literally living out of a camper van 
in Hawaii for like three nights um, on our vacation side of it. So like no freezer to put meat in yeah. and then try to take it home with us. So it got FedEx overnighted here Monday night, which was fantastic. Um, I had roughly thought about how much that was going to cost for one box, um, but they sent two boxes instead of one box. So it was like a smidgen over four digits. And I was like, I don't know. Really? Oh, dude. I I got railed. I, yeah. I mean, I guess. Why am I even surprised? You're shipping uh, an animal home from Hawaii. Of course, it's going to be a thousand bucks. Golly, man. And then next thing. cheap anymore. No. And next thing is like, if you have to ship it, if you have to ship it and you're going to freeze it beforehand, don't ship it overnight. Ship it like two day. Right. It would have been just fine right. on on two day. It didn't really have to be overnight, but that was you know kind of just the standard, and I didn't know any better, and here we are. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, every it's just a good learning. People should learn from my mistakes, I guess, um, or experiences, I should say. Yeah, for some reason, people are timid about bringing meat on a plane like we do. But I'm telling you now, it's been 10 years for me of messing around with this meat eater thing and flying around, flying meat home. And we've never had a problem. We've never lost meat. We've never had meat go bad because of it. We haven't had the leakage issue and lost our coolers. Um, it, it's we've, we've had very good luck. We've even done it with Yeti hard sides, which I think we, we probably only did it once or twice and you realize that that is just too heavy of a container to uh, to do that because you're just you're paying so much for the weight of the cooler itself where the soft-sided hopper you know it's the weight's negligible what it, I mean it's probably less than five pounds um, yeah and depending what you could also save a little bit more money depending on what size of the soft cooler you have you could carry it on yes. um, the backpack cooler yeah you can carry it on uh we've we've done that before so yeah i bet you a yeti a 30 would easily go as a carry-on easily yeah yep yeah those backpack ones um i've got one of those backpack ones and it it fits in the overhead bin super nice so all things to think about if you're planning a if you're planning a trip like that um what about like bag wise what other bags are there like bags you like always default to or uh, you know with our connection with first light i mean pretty much any kind of duffel and i've used duffels from patagonia north face fhf duffels which i don't know if they have them right now they had some old versions um any anywho uh be on the lookout because i think there's some there's some pretty sweet duffels mm-hmm. coming from fhf uh down the line but uh I've tried a lot of them, um, and they just seem—they just seem to work. It's easy. Uh, they seem to be pretty tough. If you need to, the, most of them come with some kind of a backpack strap, so you can throw them on your back and and you know walk a little ways with them if mm-hmm. you need. Um, I still haven't gotten a one with the rollers because again, when you get those roller bags, they do add a lot of weight. But man, I've done some traveling alone for hunting recently, and. I, I, it would just be a heck of a lot easier, um, <laughs> on my, on my body. If I, if I was just dragging that su- one of them, you know, cause I end up traveling with two duffels usually in a gun case. And, uh, 
one, one on the back them. and then one rolling yeah. and then rolling your gun case in the other hand or bow case, I think is uh is the way to be. So I've been using the first light um duffel. Uh what I like about it is it's got these the end pockets. Um, it looks like they'd just be like a 10 liter pocket on the end, but the, the sort of inner, uh, liner between that pocket and the main compartment, it's huge and it can expand going into the main compartment. And my buddy Jake turned me on this why he loves that bag so much is that as he's going through clothes, he basically takes those out, takes the clean ones out of the main compartment and then starts stuffing dirty clothes into one of the end pockets and eventually, you know, if all of your clothes got dirty and you put all of them into that end pocket, that end pocket pr- could probably take up nearly almost half of the main compartment, if that makes sense. It sort of expands that way. Yeah. So it's a nice way to keep it separate. And then the other end, uh, I'll just put my boots in there, both going there and back. And it just, you know, my boots are always dirty. Uh, so it just keeps your, you know, other stuff separated. One thing that I will mention, I've seen people do it uh, otherwise, and some people will even try to carry on or check their um, backpack, mm-hmm. um, you know, that you're going to hunt with, which can definitely work. But the reason I've gone this route, and basically I, I just, I empty it completely and put it into the bottom of a duffel, yep. and then I put my gear in there, is I've always heard that if an airline loses your baggage, that they're only responsible to like insurance or whatever is only responsible for the contents and not the bag itself. And so if, if you've just checked your nice EXO pack, that's, you know, 500 to a thousand bucks, you know, whatever you got into it. And then they were having to lose that or damage it. And backpacks have a lot of straps and stuff and just rolling yeah, down those, all those belts and it. stuff. Yeah. It's just, it just seems like it's better to protect it inside of a duffel um you know the duffel even though they are 100 bucks it's 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 going to take the the wear for for you, all your other gear right it's going to get rubbed on by belts there's going to be holes eventually but at least hopefully the stuff inside's not getting messed with so that's why my one big tip there about how I pack is I go empty backpack in there and then just pack everything else around it yeah. And I think it packs better like that. I've heard some people though, they will like have their backpack packed, like they're going to go hunt and then they'll just put it inside of a duffel Yeah, and they're just not quite shaped the same. So it just, I think that in my experience, I've just had like a lot of la- wasted space and it's been hard to get the zipper done because the backpack's more circular than like a duffel bag is a little bit more oblong like, um, so I think you can just fit a lot more if you do the empty backpack like you're talking about. Um, yep. But yeah, on this on this trip, of course, wasn't quite as much gear um, that I had to take. But I did the I did a Yeti roller bag, um, like the big roller bag. Pretty much fit all my clothes, my hunting clothes, and then um, I had like a little Stone Glacier backpack, the little ones that we got from the Sig deal. Um, mm-hmm. I just had like my camera and a few things in there as my carry on for the plane. And then I had my gun case. Um, and I want to like slide into that, the gun case deal I came up with. I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't really plan for this, but it couldn't have worked out any better. Um, when I started looking at gun, I needed to go buy a new, like an actual gun case for airline travel. Kind of an older one I had, one of the latches broke and I'm like, eh. 
it's just time to probably get a different one. So um, I got a Pelican and I got a double, the double. It's called the V800, I think, by, it's the Pelican Air. Okay. And a bunch of people had told me like, hey, the 730s are great and whatever. Well, then I found this 800 and just me trying to get the most bang for my buck. I'm like, well, if I get a double gun case, then I could put more than one gun in it if I need to at some point and yada, yada, yada. So I I ordered it off Amazon and it gets here and I'm like, this thing is giant. And it's probably, it's too much um, for this. So I actually tried to return it, but uh, usually Amazon's real good about returns, but this one, it was going to be 45 bucks to ship it back uh, for a return through UPS. So I was like, I guess I have a gigantic gun case. So um, then in Hawaii on, like if you're around town or whatever, you're supposed to have your gun in a soft case. So I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how I'm going to get a soft case with me and pack it all in this hard case. So the gigantic case came in really handy because those foam layers, there's like three foam layers. There might even be four I took the top two out, put my gun inside of an FHF gun case in the soft case, put the whole thing inside the hard case, and then I had quite a bit of width room left. So I ended up putting my spotting scope in a ca- in a case itself as well, um, in a soft case. Uh, my tripod, a little like fix-it sticks, a uh, little like gun repair kit. Um my binos in the bino case and then like two boxes of ammunition. I put all in that one case and it came out at 48 pounds on the scale. Perfect. So it was That's perfect. what I was going to say. Even though you wanted a smaller case, it's nice to have the double, even if you're taking only a single rifle because it's going to count as a piece of baggage. So you might as well have that piece of baggage be as close to 50 pounds as you can. And there's no way you're going to do that with a single gun case. So the double is nice for the reasons that you just mentioned is you got all yeah. that other gear in there. You came in at 48 um, and it allowed you, you know, your other bags to have other things in them that you maybe wanted to bring. Yeah. It, it honestly, it was perfect. I kind of stumbled into it, but I'm super glad I did. No, uh, Paul Lewis over at FHF, he made that gun case uh, specifically so that it would fit into hard-sided cases so that you could do exactly what you did and basically be bringing along two cases in one without really adding a lot to it, right? Because you've got all mm-hmm. the protection of the foam you need in the FHF case, but it's got to be in a hard case and locked when you fly. So you can basically just take out the foam, drop that in. I've got a very old, um, I don't even know the model of it. it it's some old uh, you know, Pelican uh gun case and i did the same thing with mine just took the foam out and just you know drop uh, the fhf case in there works slick pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company picture this okay you wake up you got a scratchy throat you're all congested you got a runny nose you got a cough whatever And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit 
you match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. What are you doing for your bow? Um, I believe it's a, is it called SKB? Yeah, the SKB company? case. SKB. Yeah. Um, I don't know the model number. Um, it's pretty good. The only thing I wish I could, I mean, it, it works fine. You can put arrows in the, um, in the, in the lid. The foam is kind of worn out a little bit. So some of the arrows will fall out. So I'll usually take some gaff tape. And after I put my arrows in, I'll gaff tape over the, sections where uh you know the little the where the parts are that are actually holding the arrow mm-hmm. uh and then so it works fine you strap your bow in there and again i can put i'll the thing is you got to take off your sight you got to take off your quiver you got to take off your stabilizer so all of that stuff i'll take a pair of socks or a hat or gloves and slip all that stuff into there and then drop it into the case um and even maybe pack you know, a couple layers just so stuff's not moving and flopping around. I feel like with a bow, I'm way more careful about what's going in there and how stuff's going to move because uh, the last thing you want is to 
you know, it seems like this bow is just more fragile than a rifle, right? So I'm, I'm pretty careful about that. Um, yeah. I will say one thing that I'm sure it get it happens every year, and you got to be don't do this is your broadheads have to be in a broadhead case. Don't have them on your arrows and in that box with your bow and bow strings because that's just a, you're asking for it, right? You, one of those arrows with a broadhead is going to get loose and then it's going to cut your string or fray your string. Who, who knows what could happen? But uh, definitely have your broadheads in a separate case. You can have field mm-hmm. tips on your on your arrows. But uh, yeah, and it's been a great case. Um, you know, it, it does the trick. It would just be easier. But again, the case might get way too big if you could say just unscrew the stabilizer and leave your, you know, leave your quiver on, leave your sight on, drop it in and go. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, before our Alaska caribou trip this last year, I was I needed a new bow case <clears throat> again, uh, me and my cases, but I felt I apparently was feeling pretty fly and I was like, I just want one. I'm going to have it for a long time. So I again was looking at Pelican cases and lo and behold, they make one that is called the bow case. Mm. And so I looked at pictures of it and like in the inside, it like you put your bow in, you can strap it in and then they have like a, a padded cover that goes over the whole thing and clips in. So then it kind of protects the top your bow from anything else that you have in the top and then like in the lid they have the little cutouts for arrows you can stick in there they have a couple of little pockets that you could put stuff in um i usually just put like extra stuff like repair stuff that i may need an extra release um but that I'm, that's been a pretty nice pretty nice case i've only flown once with it but yeah i'm checking it out man that thing looks slick yeah, it's really do you, have nice. ta- do you have to take your sight off? No. Oh, you don't? That's nope. cool. But you no, do have mine to doesn't take- really stick mine doesn't stick out that far. Oh. But I'm sure you still have to take your quiver and stabilizer off. Yep. Yeah. And I just have like for my stabilizer, it's getting in the weeds a little. I just have like the quick release. It's like you just give it like a half a twist backwards and pop it up. Mm. It's a bee stinger, I think. And it just pops the stabilizer right off. So Pretty, pretty easy there. But uh, I know in our notes here, we talked about locks a little bit. Um, so I was told before I did my sheep hunt a couple years ago that TSA did a change for their gun cases that they didn't want you to use T- like real TSA locks because then all the TSA agents have a key to get into it and they didn't want your gun to be that accessible. So they wanted you to use your own locks, even mm. if you have, or and just make sure you have the key with you all the time, obviously. And if they needed you to open it, they just have to call you and you have to go wherever they are to open it. Interesting. Yeah. I better look into that. Because I just, I flew recently with, with shotguns just in the last month and, and they didn't say anything about that. They actually asked me, are they TSA locks? And I've always done that so you don't have to stick around waiting because if you don't have TSA locks, if they mm. flag it and they need to get into your case, you got to be sitting around there to either give them the combo or give them the key so they can yeah. open it and then get in there. Where when it's when I'm like, no, it's got TSA locks, so like, okay, see you at the gate. You see know, you later. <laughs> walk away. 
Yeah. Something um, to check into. No, definitely look into that. And it could be a per airline um, uh, a rule, too. Yeah. Uh, that's something, too, on airlines. Like, you got to check. They're all just, a, like, a little bit different on airlines, too. Like, you got to check before you go and make sure. Even if bouncing from one airline to the next, especially if you have to, like, recheck in. Um, I ran into that when we went to Hawaii. So, I we took Alaska to Honolulu. I had my two boxes of bullets like in the case, um, mm-hmm. in the original box, but in the case. And the people here didn't bat an eye at it. They let me go. And then when we got to Honolulu and we were jumping over on the flight to Lanai, they um, asked me if I had, they said that the bullets had to be out of the case in a separate bag. Hmm checked in in a separate bag. So they wanted them completely in a couple different spots. So that's something to think about there. And just ammunition in general, like it can't be loose. It's supposed to be in the original boxes, like closed boxes or a hard case designed for ammunition. Like uh, i trying to think what those... What those MT, uh, MTM is probably the most popular yeah, box yep. that you buy at sports. Yeah, those little things. And then... As a side note, uh, like black powder or primers, you're not supposed to take those either. Yep. So the powder I would have thought of, I did not know the primers. Yeah, because that's a full-on explosive, you know. Mm-hmm. I think if you had them together like that in a case, that, that that's what they're worried about. Yeah, and then you added in it can't be over 11 pounds. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, which 11 pounds of ammo, that's a, a good bit. That's a lot. <laughs> Um, I don't know how much just, I bet you a, a 20 round of 20 rounds in a box is probably close to a pound. So it'd be like bringing 10 or 11 mm-hmm. or a dozen boxes, which is, uh, probably a little more than most folks need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you made a note too. no, no, uh, gas canisters for backpack mm-hmm. and stoves. You can take an empty white gas canister, but you can't take a compressed gas Cancer that say would go on to a MSR reactor, MSR mm-hmm. uh, pocket rocket. You know can't, what they call yeah. canister stoves. Can't bring the canisters. If you're gonna if you're gonna use that on your trip, you need to get there and then buy yourself a plan ahead. Canisters. Yeah, plan ahead and make sure you can buy some wherever you're going. Yeah. Um, sweet. And then really to wrap it up, like. Try to make sure your bags aren't over 50 pounds. Otherwise, you'll get whacked with an over, oversize or a overweight bag fee. So yep. those can add up real quick. Oh, buddy. Yeah, if you yeah. don't have... <laughs> we're lucky again where we fly enough where uh, you know you get a certain amount of bags free and they give you a little le- leeway. I think instead of 50, when you have some kind of status with Delta, they give you up to, I think it's 70 before it's mm-hmm. overweight. Um, but yeah, if you're don't fly a lot, no status, yeah, make sure your bags because they uh, it depends on who's working that counter. But if it's at fifty one, they're gonna make you take something out, or they're gonna hit you. And when they hit you, it's probably three hundred bucks. Oh yeah, it's it's big time. Like, have you ever walked in to the airport and there's people like disassembling their bags? Oh in yeah, the, like, right in front of the thing, trying to repack stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't need these shoes anymore. <laughs> I don't need yeah. these t-shirts. I could just buy some more when I get there. Yeah, especially for, for, three, less. for 300 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Sweet. Yeah. What What other thing? I mean, we we kind of touched on how to pack binos or 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 just in general optics. Um, yeah. For traveling. Uh, would Would you do there? What'd you do when you went to Hawaii? Uh, I had everything in my gun case because that was a locked hard sided case. Um, in previous times, I've always had those in my carry on. I'll just have like a little carry-on backpack and I usually put them in that backpack just so that's usually your high dollar stuff. And they're also heavy. So like it can make your, that's a good way to shave some pounds out of your bag is if you just make sure that your optics are in your carry-on. Um, save some weight that way. And then those are high dollar things. And it's just nice to have them with you. Makes you feel a little better. Makes me feel better anyways. Oh, you mean pack them in a carry-on? Yeah, pack optics in a carry-on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's my recommendation, too. Usually I'll go, because I rarely fly with more than one pair of binoculars. I guess maybe on a coos deer hunt, I might have two. But, but binos, because um, I had a pair of binos that was packed well, crammed well into a duffel in between all kinds of clothes, I thought. And still, when I brought them out, they would gotten a ding on one of the ocular... Um, lenses and I don't, the lens didn't actually break, but the housing around it was bent enough where it sort of pushed a little piece of rubber metal sort of into the, like it it wasn't a perfect circle anymore is what I'm trying to say. And it didn't really affect looking through them, but just every time you look down, you saw it and it was just in my head like, ow, man, that was a bummer. So yeah, I too will definitely pack my optics, um, with me and my carry on. And yeah. uh, ba- baby them, but a spotter, you know, I don't know. I just feel like they're a little bit tougher. Maybe I don't know. But usually I have a, a four section Z rest, like a foam sitting pad that I'm bringing mm-hmm. if I'm going to be doing that kind of glassing, and that's just big enough to burrito roll a spotter into it, and I'll get a rubber band or some P cord and kind of tie it up like that, and then put it into my duffel where hopefully on the bottom I've got my backpack and then and then work around all the sides with all my clothes and make sure there's something on top so that it's really dead center and and protected from all sides yeah that's a good uh that's a good way to do it i'm always just like i don't know in the past i've always been so tight at 50 pounds for each bag it's just yeah it's a it's a good way. Like if you know you're going to be overweight on your bags, <clears throat> that's the first thing I would pull out is your glass. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. There's nothing heavier than <laughs> denser in your bags and your binos and your spotter. Nothing. Yeah. Maybe your Sweet. ammo, but you can't carry that on. Yeah. So you're stuck. Don't do that. Do not try to carry ammo on or try to take it through uh security. Uh, you're going to have a, have to end up with a, with a chat with the cops in the back room. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I know we just went through a lot of info and kind of a lot of different, like hitting it a lot of different places. Um, if you have any questions or comments on this, we can answer them in future episodes. Just send your questions to geartalk at com, or with any other uh, comments or if you have a request for an episode or gear thing to cover, let us know. And yeah, also on the website at themeateater.com, if you go up to the top, you look at podcasts, you can see um, our podcast, The Gear Talk. All of our episodes post there. 
as well as like, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, iHeartRadio. Um, you can go to the website, go to our Gear Talk page, and then um, when you click on the episode, you can go down to the bottom. You can comment on that specific episode and we'll talk back and forth with you. So with that, uh, thanks for listening to Gear Talk Podcast and stay tuned for future episodes. And yeah, we'll talk to you guys in the next one. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.